Hello and welcome to What Moves Us, the podcast where we ask what moves us or more accurately what's going to move us in future. With the Rail Innovation Group's Johanna Randall and Liam Henderson we look at debates, themes and decisions of the minutes that will impact on the way we get about in the future. Hi Johanna, how are you doing? I'm all right, how are you Liam? Um, I'm good. I'm obviously in London where it's still quite warm. You look as though you've got a hoodie on up there in Scotland. I have got a hoodie on. <laughs> I always wear a hoodie. <laughs> okay then, right. It's actually, it's not, I mean, for the time of year, it's okay. I mean, like, um, yesterday I went out for a lovely walk and it was lovely and sunny. I mean, so it is the 2nd of October today. Uh, lots going on in the world. We just don't know what the end result of this will be. It's a Tory party conference today, this week. Um, I'd love to know what's happening with HS2. I'd love to know what's happening with rail investment. And I'd love to know what's happening with GBR. So whilst <laughs> we can ask lots of questions about this, uh, I don't think we have any certainty. I think generally the general message, please can we have some certainty? Oh, I'm, I'm gonna, I think like most people, I'm feeling very disappointed with it all at the moment because and I and I think the reason why I'm disappointed is that we did a podcast getting on for two and a half years ago about the William Shapps rail plan. Yeah. And we were feeling overall quite positive. Yeah. Uh, here at last was a plan that, you know, that we hoped we wouldn't wouldn't disappoint us because we could just get on and deliver it. And of course, nothing has been delivered. It's just become a bit of a talking shop. Nothing, yes. you know, if anything, you could say, if you were, you could say, if you'd have done nothing, things would probably be better than they are now. Well, we're going to get a view from a uh, larger supplier to rail in a minute. We've got Ben Jones joining us from Scheidt and Backman. Um, in advance of him joining, because maybe they know more than we know. Um, I attended a Digital Decade in Rail event last week um, in Derby. And it was, again, probably the same as you, feeling a bit like we were talking about all the things that you could do with digitization and what we needed to do as an industry, blah, blah, blah. But the, the cynicism, I certainly had cynicism in terms of like, well, it's all very nice to talk about this stuff, but I don't think we have we don't have public support to be doing these things now. You don't sense that if we came up with a plan, it would be supported to have, to bring into operation. Why don't you think there's public support? No, public sector. I'm, public sorry, sector, I oh, I see. Sector. I meant government, really. Government. Uh, because as long as people are waiting for Great British Rail transition to happen, um, I'm not sure that the ambition for the rail in the future is the same now and i don't know enough about what the labor party would do should they be the next government yeah so it's, a difficult, it's, it's a difficult situation isn't it and dominate from what you know from what i hear on news and commentators and that it'll be interesting to see sort of like what comes out of the conservative conference is that business is not attending the conference everybody's going to the Labour conference. Yeah, but I mean, for all future mobility, because we cover obviously any mode, um, I don't, 
I don't actually know, to be honest, I don't really know what a Labour government would do. And I can read what the Tory party says, the Conservatives say they would do, but I'm not entirely sure they will do it. So <laughs> it's a lot of wait and see. Or a lot of weeks, yeah. Apart from the announcements this weekend about uh, the plan for drivers, which I think is very strange. And I don't also believe that that will happen because they're not going to be in power long enough to put that into place. But, but also, I just don't <laughs> get this war on drivers stuff. Well, because if you if you look at the evidence, you know, I mean, I give you a say, for example, you know, just look at um, the cost of um, motoring. You know, in in the thirteen years that um we've had some form of conservative government, the real cost of motoring has gone down. And then, if you were to just look at the last couple of years, I'm like, because well, why we have a fuel price escalator, I have no idea because it, it's pretty much been frozen since two thousand and seven, I think. Yeah. And not only has it been frozen, but last year they actually reduced it by five percent and then they decided this year in the spring budget to extend it but then conversely if you look at public transport the cost of rail fares has on average i think gone up something like rpi plus 1.6 percent since 2010 and of course this year it did it go up 5.9 percent you know so so You've got that. And then bus bus fares have also gone up by something like 37%, despite the £2 flat fare that's being implemented in um, temporarily. And also during that time, buses have declined by 50%, you know, in terms of the services and that. So, so I don't get where this argument of the war on the motorist is. There is no war on the motorist. Actually, the war is with public transport users. And then, you know, if you take that in the background against, you know, sort of like policies that are also being um, implemented or being announced in regard to um, our climate change goals, then everything that this the current government is saying is actually saying we don't we don't care about our future or our grandchildren or clean air or anything. We we just care about winning the next election. Well, it's politics, isn't it? Um, there was a lot of stats in your head just then. I'm quite impressed that you have them all. <laughs> um, a lot of stats. Uh, yes. Again, all I can wait and see. Um, I, I think it's. I I was reading about it over the last few days because I have to say when I, when I do drive and when like I was very late to driving as some regular listeners may know, but. I have always been, you know, sort of like pro-public transport, mm. you know, most of my life. And I think, you know, and I, and it is, it just makes it really, really difficult to use public transport when you sort of like contextualize it against some of the policy, you know, changes that are coming in. But on a positive note, I mean, like I will mention this before, because unfortunately I do do have to go before you you have your interview with with um, Ben. Um, but um, they um, started the trial today in Scotland on removing peak fares for the next six months. Oh, yes. So, yes. so there is something positive that is happening and it, I'll be interested to see the outcomes of that. And whether, you know, one, whether it's a success in, in terms of getting more people to travel by rail again, because 
Scotland, as we know, has been um, slower to recover post-pandemic, but it is recovering now, um, and whether that actually grows business, but also whether they deem it successful enough to actually keep it permanent, because I've always been an advocate, even before the pandemic, for um, removing peak time fares and just having a flat fare. Right. But would that not mean that as a traveller off-peak, a leisure traveller, I would end up having to pay more if the cost if the cost of peaks didn't exist, then it would be cheaper to travel in the morning, which means that people for the rest of the day would have to pay more so that there was an average flat fare. Well, they're not, they've not, they've not introduced an average flat fare. They've just made them all the off-peak fares. So obviously there's a question there for future implementation. Yes. You know, whether that would be the case, because just on that one point is that obviously um, I have been um, what has happened with East Coast with their introduction of a single leg fare is mm-hmm. that you can no longer buy um, return open tickets. They're all advanced and they're also more expensive than they were 12 months ago. Uh, yes. Well, unfortunately, oh, um. Yeah, I don't know. It's a shame. Anyway, I appreciate that you have to leave us now, but maybe if you just say hello to Ben as he joins, and then I will hand hand off to him. Well, no, you can hand me off to him. Hi, Ben. Ben. Johanna's just going to leave us, and then we'll carry on. Uh, I'm going to go straight straight to asking you the questions. Uh, So, Ben, thanks for joining us. Um, Unfortunately, Johanna had to leave, so you just got me. But... Uh, you've been a member of the Rail Innovation Group for a few years now, so I guess let's start with giving you an opportunity to introduce yourself. Yes, okay, thank you very much. Uh, yes, glad to be here. Um, so my name is Ben Jones. I am the Business Development Manager for uh, SMB, we call it, UK. Uh, Scheidt and Backman is, is the proper name, which is a German organisation that has been running for over 150 years um, in fair collection, parking solutions, signalling solutions, fuel retail. Um, and now we've got an IoT section. So um, so I, my background is I have been working in the industry for nearly 20 years. I started as a junior engineer with a company called Shear, um, which was later bought by Atos Origin, um, then turned into Worldline eventually. So, and then I moved to SMB about five years ago. So I've been here yeah, about five, five and a half years now, um, starting as an account manager, then a sales manager for the UK. Um, alongside a colleague of mine and now business development manager so it's brief brief background of what's what and who i am okay and so many other people tell us that even after 20 years they say they're new to rail <laughs> In, it, that, no well no i have no, no no i'm certainly not new to rail and certainly my face keeps popping up so our customers are Sometimes happy, sometimes not happy, but we'll see. It's It's been an interesting enough industry to keep me around for 20 years, let's put it that way. Right. So you work, obviously, for a large company. Um, one of our largest members is, I mean, I, I wrote down that I was going to ask you what's your interest in innovation, but if I could tweak that slightly to be... Does Absolutely. Penny, does the... Does, okay, being... But does the company want to innovate or does it have to innovate for the market? Both. So both. I mean, I'm going to give you a very political answer, I think, but, you know, I'm trying not to be. I'm trying to be open as I can. The company is big enough, you know, to innovate all the time if it really wants. And it does have various um, innovation teams within fair collection on its own. So if I just take the section that I work in, obviously, which is, you know, 
the one for the Railway Innovation Group. Um, to be to be able to live for 150 years um, as a company, if they didn't innovate, they wouldn't be around today. You know, we've seen that with the likes of in the UK, Woolworths and you know HMV, and you know they start to make a resurgence coming back because they've had new ownership and a new lease of life. But S and B have always been there. And the reason I say both is because we have to innovate as well. We have the customers' needs are changing. We are not just telling them what we think we need and that's going to fit to their thing. We, you know, we've we've switched that to asking and working with, you know, um, with our customers. Um, they are the experts at the end of the day. They understand the customer's needs or the passenger needs or whatever, you know, side of the fence you are in terms of passenger and, and customer. Um so yeah, we have to do both to to survive, but also we have to be able to um, make sure the products that we give our customers and, and provide our customers are um, forward facing and and fit for the future. Right. Okay. And do you, in your role, have the chance to? I not. I don't want to say invent, but to sort of scout around for things that would be a good solution to come up with. Yes. So in my role, I get I'm quite um, lucky in my role. So because there's only one of me in the UK, uh, and I work alongside sales um, and project management and everybody else. But I get to go out and look at two, three, four years ahead, maybe five years ahead, maybe ten years ahead, into the solutions we may need, may need. So certain things at the moment, which are not a secret because everybody else is doing it, we're looking at facial recognition. We're lose, using it or looking at, I say, we are looking at um, deep vein technology we're looking at um fingerprint technology you know we're trying to you know we're looking at the technology ultra wideband we're looking at sound acoustic waves we're looking at all sorts of technology in our and d products to say say how does that make the customer journey better um but i am quite lucky that i can bring a customer in or i can bring a supplier in and i can absolutely um manage that relationship through from start to finish and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But we're 10 steps ahead. Um, if it does work out, then fantastic. And if there's people and suppliers, um, other suppliers that, that in, the, in the market who would like to even talk uh, and try to collaborate, absolutely. You know, why not? It's an open market. We can't just do everything ourselves these days. And that's my my view, of course. Um, but yeah, I'm in, I'm in a unique position. I get to try and drive that through our business. Right. You sound quite uh, enthusiastic about it yeah i've always been the same i don't know i don't know where it comes from i have no idea where it comes from um i <laughs> i've always been um quite enthusiastic i just like the future yeah well yeah i have to be otherwise it's all doom and gloom and you know you never get anything done but there's always a will you know where's the will there's a way as they as, as we know in the uk but we have to try and make it better and the only way to do that is to go from start to finish it doesn't work out you know why and wait for technology to catch up. Great example, Bluetooth beaconing. Yeah. SB have had that for 15 years. It's not been apparent that it's not been a technology that you could really mass adopt till really now. So some people have been successful, but it really hasn't taken off in terms of the mass world. But I don't mean like mobility service, I mean as in mass adoption. Right. But we are we are now trying to exploit that with the Technical, technological advances with phones, um, with other forms of um, 
media and connectivity. As I said, you know, ultra wide bands a great one. Um, it just you know, there, there's not one fit. It's not one technology that will rule the ball. It all has to work together. Right. But yes, I am very enthusiastic about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's good. That's why we want you involved in our group. Um, <laughs> so we obviously normally speak to people who are actually running, running and working in smaller companies, and we ask them their challenges. Um, so I'm just curious to get your your view from as a larger, longer term. Yeah. What are your challenges? Um. Sorry to clarify, what are your challenges with it, with the innovation space? Yeah, yeah, well, well, just just trying to do it. I mean, when you're a smaller company, so I come from a smaller company back in the past, and they, they were able to do things and take quick decisions because they had they had the dedicated people. So we're part of a larger company now, you know, and that goes from my my past as well as with S and B is um is trying to change the oil tanker speed. You know, we use that analogy because it is a big oil tanker. And once you start turning, obviously you can't really stop it, but it's small, it does turn at a very, very slow pace. It's getting that it's getting that buy-in from central management. It's getting that buy-in from the product owners. And it's, it's slowly getting the traction that we need to be able to say, you know what, we need to put some more... Um, skin in the game money in the game we need to we need to innovate more and get people in we need and it's just it's getting there we've changed you know recently i have to say in the last year or so when we've taken we had a new ceo the theory has changed it's a lot more about products than it was about the projects so we 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 were doing it all project by project led and we're now we're doing product and that takes a while that does take a while um so our challenge is really is just getting people to think openly about is it the right way? Do we have space? What is the benefit? What and, and go out and get feedback from the customers. Don't just do it because we think it's a good idea. Actually go and speak to the customers, get their view and see what they think because we've done that a load of times in, in the UK and around the world. Some have taken off and some have, have died because of it. It's not everything is going to be suitable right now. Right. Okay, was well, a good point to make then. Um, earlier on, you mentioned about, well, so, in, sorry, you just said that it's important to engage with customers. And then earlier on, you said you like to collaborate. So I was wondering, do yeah. you engage with smaller suppliers as part of your solution development or I don't know, market research or anything? Yes. So we do, we do have a number of smaller companies, you know, I'm going to say on our books, but, you know, not like that. We do work with another suppliers. So we have, you know, a smaller marketing agency that we work with in UK. We have smaller suppliers around the world, you know, in Spain and Germany that we collaborate with. Um, in the UK, that's growing. It's It's been quite tricky with the way the UK market has been uh, since COVID, that it's been a lot, it's a lot slower to do anything. And a lot of the business we've had is our traditional business that we have in-house. But we are absolutely opening ourselves up to working with smaller companies because they will be more nimble than us. They will be quicker than us. They will be able to advise us on certain aspects. They will be experts in areas that we are not. So we may be very good at ticketing, but we may not be very good at delay repay, for example. Right. So, you know, there are many companies that do that a lot better than us. So we must learn from the experts, providers, same thing. So we are we are opening ourselves up to to have those discussions to see what can be done. Again, some things take a long time. Some things are quite 
um, quick and if it's terms of a, of a tender or situation where we need to reply and we need to respond. But no, no, absolutely, we are working with more and more smaller um, companies and suppliers um, and partners to be able to deliver the solutions we need. So how do you find those small suppliers? Obviously, I'm speaking on behalf of all the community in the Rail Innovation Group who are small suppliers. How are they engaging? Yeah. <laughs> just talk to me. Just I I mean I always track you down I, and find you at an event. <laughs> absolutely. Not even an event. So I am on LinkedIn. Obviously, I am I've got my mobile number on there, I've got my email address. Just talk to me. I mean, so I say to everybody, it's really, really simple. If you want to talk to me, if you pick up the phone or email me, I will reply. I'm not going to sit there and go, oh, I'm part of a bigger group. Uh, absolutely not. It's okay. it's for me. Even that thinking is ridiculous. So, um, you know, part people in the rail university group, I've spoken to a number of people there. Um, but so we know intenders to come that we know who can we rely on and what they do. I'm always up for, um, and it, it's really my job with my, my sales colleagues to go out and find these new companies and to understand them. Um, so I can, I can pick on one, you know, so we, we've got esoterics is one that we've been working with. Yeah. Um, and talking to for a long time, nothing's pulled off yet, but we're there. I know what they're about. I know what they're capable of doing. Um, so it, it really is just pick up the phone, have a chat, send me a LinkedIn message, send me an email, whatever. I, I We want to know what people are doing um, so we can see if we can help and, you know, help in bringing them into the market Um because we we may have the connections or help in our solutions and actually providing that well-rounded solution in the end. Brilliant. That's a very encouraging message. Has anything surprised you about the small companies? How knowledgeable, how good they are. Like, you know, we we all think we're good, right? Let's be honest. So we're all we're all good at our jobs. There's many, many people who are they are employed for a reason, you know. Otherwise other somebody else will be employed in their position. Yeah. But when you really talk to the, to the smaller companies who have the time and dedication to and really go into depth about their product, it is amazing. And I, and I love this. I'm a bit of a tech head myself from a previous life, but absolutely, I love the same passion they have, just like I have for you know doing ticket machines and doing gates and develop and really providing that change view or change of view. They really, really, really go into the depth and can really future uh, forward think or forward think. Um, they will really explain step by step why they've done it that way, which is good because otherwise some people somebody may have a, another idea of how to do it. But there's there's got to be reasons why it's done a particular way because it just doesn't work or there's technology advances or you know it's not there yet or whatever. I just I just like the smaller companies thinking they really nail the problems um when it comes to to whatever they're doing so you know as i said delay repay companies data analysts really go straight into that detail yeah i do it this way because some other people can't say that or don't want to say it and i do feel um, some of the large companies we, we, we have worked with don't go into that in that detail as fast as they do and you know fine, have it in an agreement, have an NDA, whatever you want to do. It's really, really valuable for somebody, part of a large company to understand that level of detail. Oh, okay. Cool. Well, you're talking up, talking up the small companies, so we're like that. 
I, I come from one. Remember back back in 2005 when I first started, what was I, 18? Yeah. 18, nearly 19. You know, I'm now 38 next year. Um, I was part of a small company. Oh, huh? Dropping that in. <laughs> Sorry, apologies. But no, I I was part of a small company. I was part of a company no more than 80 to 90 people. Yeah. So I, I, I as much as I love that environment, I obviously love the big environment as well. Um it's it's just a different way of thinking and i think they're faster now i think the companies now are just faster because they know what they want they can see the gaps and they go for it and and you know there's a lot of people investing there's a lot of people bringing stuff to market so absolutely always happy to have a chat as i say and, and really learn what what they're bringing to market yeah what could they learn from you or what advice do you have for all them um I think to be to be pushy. I think okay. be patient and be pushy. So you're not always going to get everything. Yeah, I know exactly. It's it's a two worlds. But what I mean by that is there will be times where you will have to read the room and you will have to sit there and go right now is not the right time because changes with central industry, changes in government, whatever it may be. But at some point, don't give up that fight and that uh and basically that that drive you know because it will happen we've you know either been part of a small company or part of a large company i've had experiences where i've had to wait two years two three years before things have even pulled off and that that seems to be boring but the conversations that are happening in the background but i've always pushed it i've always brought it to light i've always i've just waited for the right time and and sort of you know, being able to read you know, LinkedIn and being part of forums like the Rail Innovation Group, we get a lot of information that we can then determine when is the right time to, uh, I think, the for strike is the, is, but not in the striker sense of what's been happening in the UK. Um, but you bring it, you, you just, you just keep going. If you, if you really believe in the product and really believe in what you do, absolutely just keep going. Um, and if anybody needs any connections or, yeah, you know, the large companies will have them. And if it's a true company, if it's a true company who wants to work with people, they will have no problem in in widening their their um, connections with with people, um, um, with you know just to get more people in the market. You know there are, there are lots of companies you have in your books, Liam, that do that, that very well. Right. Cool. So we would we want to be one of those. We want to be helpful, and we want to to to. Um, to, to help people get there but yeah just just read read the room if it's not the right time be patient but keep pushing afterwards and make sure you strike at the right time because it will happen right great be patient be pushy strike at the right time. <laughs> wonderful <laughs> yeah. right. thank you very much well thanks for that insight and we will see you soon no problem thank you very much for having me thanks thanks for listening to another episode of what moves us we hope we moved you. For more episodes, you'll definitely want to subscribe to our channel. Till next time.